Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Guy Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Guy with you as normal. Before we jump into things with our guest real fast, some show notes if you are looking for some professional wrestling in the next couple of days. Tonight, WCWO in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Outlaw Arena. FGW in Hamilton, Ohio. You have WrestlePro in Anchorage, Alaska. XCW in Jeffersonville, Indiana. CCW in St. Port Lucie, Florida. RCW in Oblong, Illinois. Tomorrow night, CPW, which is where you can find myself, in Arlington, Washington. That is Pajama Slam, so make sure if you are coming to the show, you do have pajamas. Supreme Wrestling in Madison, Indiana. ETWA in Newport, Vermont. BMFX in Lafayette, Indiana. IZW in Glendale, Arizona. Lucha Libre, Portland in Gresham, Oregon. Russell Arts in Indianapolis, Indiana. NWWE in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. HPW in Headland, Alabama. JICW in Martinsville, Indiana. And GLCW in Merrill, Wisconsin. Speaking of GCW tomorrow night, one of the people on that card is joining us now. He is from the great state of Wisconsin. He is a Finnish descent. Ragnar the Ruthless, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time today to be with us. Oh, thank you for having me, man. Well, since it is your first time here, I'm going to lead you off today with our traditional first-timer question. How did you get into the business of professional wrestling? Oh, man, I think think a lot of people have a lot of, like, sad backstories sometimes when it comes uh, comes to wrestling. Um, I was, I was a pretty bad alcoholic and I was like fighting my friends and stuff like that out at the bar. And uh, wrestling was that one thing that ended up becoming an outlet, which ended up becoming like my whole life. So I got into a fight and uh, I was like, man, I, I got to get my life together. I got to figure out my life. And then I found, Shane Hills and the Dojo of Pain, and from there on out, I've been doing it ever since. When you get into pro wrestling, had you a background as far as athletics or drama or even any type of business background that was going to prepare you for what professional wrestling is, or did you go into pro wrestling sort of cold? Um, I, I was athletic. I skateboarded, uh, for 14 years. 
I had, I had done plenty of athletic things and stuff like that. And I always loved watching wrestling as a kid. So um, it kind of went hand in hand on top of each other, which was like just the athletic aspect. I didn't know anything about the business. I didn't know that there was local wrestling, all the names that you were listing off there. I was like, wow, that's a lot of local wrestling at the beginning of the show. And I was like, that's awesome that you do that because I didn't know there was local wrestling when I was younger um, until I got into the business. So my big thing is always trying to promote shows and tell people, Hey, I wrestle at this place. Um, so that we can get as many people there as possible. So I didn't know anything about it. I, I was walking in pretty much blind. The independent circuit is a very different animal than what the national companies present. Usually at the independent level, there is one or two, sometimes upwards of five owners of a company, and they are responsible for every aspect of the show being presented. They have to go to the store and buy the concessions. They have to make sure the ring is either rented or picked up from where it's stored. They oftentimes have to assemble the ring. They're responsible for paying the wrestlers. They're responsible for securing the venues, securing the insurance on the venues, all of that. At the national level, of course, people watch television and they see a similar product, but at the national levels, you have hundreds of employees that each do a specific job. You have people that's job is to secure venues. You have people that deal with insurances. You have people that deal with talent relations and making sure the money is paid. All of those things at the national level generally are a corporate effort. Do right. you think the when you look at the two different structures, for you personally, do you think you would be happier if you were to go to a national corporate wrestling situation, or do you think that for your own career, you'd be happier maintaining on the independent level? Um, I don't know. That's a question I, I think about all the time. Um, and to be honest, I, I would love to get a contract and go, you know, big name, stuff like that. Everything's paid for and, you know, you're not really setting up, tearing down, moving rings. You know, like you said, they've, they've got people for that. A lot of times I'm that guy that goes to a show early or goes and picks up the ring. I, I set up, I tear down, I make sure, you know, everything's good afterwards. Um, and, you know, to not have that worry, because a lot of times it's like a, a time crunch thing, you know, things happen. Um, but to not have that extra stress and then on top of that, trying to get into the ring and do my stuff, like that's just one less stress reliever on top of a already hectic day. So if I had to choose, it would definitely – now, if I was like Matt Cardona, I would totally stay on the indies. Um, but if I wanted to truly probably be happy and make it, I would I would definitely want, like, contract or um, internationally, you know? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with either one of them. It's down to personal preference. 
I mentioned when I introduced you, you are out of Wisconsin, and that state has a very, very long history when it comes to professional wrestling. It was part of the AWA territory dating back to the early 60s. Uh, the WWF ran it very regularly when they first started to expand nationally in the mid-80s. There's been scores of independent promotions, big and small, throughout Wisconsin. So there's a lot of history in that state. Do you ever delve into researching what the history of wrestling is in Wisconsin, or do you sort of live more in the moment? Um, when, when I was training, we had to learn, like, who came before us. Like, that was a big thing. Um, Shane, Shane Hills trained us. And then um, Merck, before it was the Dojo of Pain, it was Merck 1, Mercury 1. Um, and then even before that, I've asked Merck a couple times, but I've, I can't remember at the top of my head. But you're right, there's just so much wrestling history in Wisconsin. And I think that's why a lot of people like coming here is because of the wrestling history. Um, and there are a, a lot of promotions in Wisconsin. Um, when it comes to the history, not a lot of people know it. Like, not a lot of people know that my trainer and Ken Anderson came from the same camp. Like, uh, his students, I always have to tell them, like, hey, we're basically like wrestling cousins. Like, I don't know if you know that or not. And they're like, oh, no, I didn't know that, you know, that uh, there's a lot of wrestlers that are from Wisconsin and then end up going somewhere else. So it's nice to know the history of, like, where everybody came from. I think that's a cool aspect of it. The AWA was a territorial promotion for Wisconsin, like I said. Uh, they did hundreds of shows in Wisconsin from the early 60s until the end there in the 90s. A lot of times the territorial wrestlers, when they stepped away, would stay in that area because they were established there. It was easier to get work because of their name, whatever the case may be. Do you run into a lot of the guys that were with the AWA that pop up on shows you do, whether they're actively working or doing appearances or just visiting? Uh, sometimes. Some of them are just normally um, visiting. Um, we had we also had the NWA Wisconsin for the longest time, and that's what I used to see as a child on TV um, after Ned the Dead. So a lot of those guys, uh, they come back, they, you know, they want to see what the, the new crowd is like, the new talent, and they'll come and they'll say, hey, this is, this is me, I, I've, you know, I used to run this area or I used to work this area and stuff like that, and it's cool to get their backstory and their history um, of the state. Why there's so much wrestling in Wisconsin is probably because, like, it's winter constantly here. <laughs> and uh, what else are you going to do in the winter? I mean, you got to go inside and watch some, watch some guys or girls beat up on each other. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, the name Ragnar the Ruthless, as people might guess, has European connotations there to Finnish and Viking. 
lore, wrestling has become a much tighter circle than ever before, and European wrestling has become uh, very big right now. There's a lot more independent professional wrestling all over Europe than there ever has been, and there seems to be more interest out of the American fan base in European wrestling than I can recall. What do you think of the influx of the European style of pro wrestling into sort of the American fan base? Um, the styles are, are very different. I, I will, I will never argue that they're very different styles. Um, they're more grappling over there. They're more the amateur wrestling over here. It's more athletics and, um, certain maneuvers and stuff like that over there. It's really, plus the chance over there in, in Europe. Um, they just got some of the greatest chance. Uh, but I, I follow a lot of, um, European wrestling on like Instagram and stuff like that, especially in Finland, because I've never gotten to go to Finland and I would love to go wrestle in Finland. Um, so it's, it's cool to see the different styles and the different characters and the gimmicks over there compared to here. Um, it, it's very similar in some aspects, but in a lot of aspects, it's very different. They, they pack so many like buildings, with just regular indie wrestling over there because they don't have it. They didn't have it for so long. So it's cool to see Europe, uh, like kind of boom in the indie wrestling aspect. So I've always thought that, um, that was definitely cool to see more companies pop up over there. Probably the most well-known Finnish wrestler, in America would be Tony Halmey, who wrestled as Ludwig Borga for the WWF. He had a lot of notoriety from wrestling not only in the WWF, but also in Japan. He also was in the early martial arts promotions, went into politics. Were you a big fan of Tony Halmey slash Ludwig Borga growing up, or was he not really on the radar? <laughs> Wasn't really on my radar. So I grew up more of the, and don't get me wrong, I've watched his stuff because, you know, it's good to watch the older stuff and the, you know, stuff that became before the Attitude Era and before the WWF and stuff like that. Um, it's good to research, do your research and see what works and what doesn't work. But I grew up towards more of the Attitude Era, and it was mostly just The Rock, Stone Cold, um, Triple H, it was, you know, that was more of my era of wrestling that I watched as a kid. Um, I even stopped re- watching wrestling for a while, so before I knew, uh, I, I think I stopped watching wrestling when I was maybe 18 to 23 or something like that, but I didn't know who Seth Rollins was, so I had to go back and watch his stuff. I had to go back and watch, you know, all all of those things. Um so that's that's where my wrestling influence basically came from, was just the Attitude Era. One of the other styles in pro wrestling that's polar opposite from what you see in Europe is the deathmatch and hardcore type of wrestling. 
Those matches tend to see a lot of bloodshed in them, lots of weapons used. In the last few years, blood in pro wrestling has become sort of a hot button because we have learned more from the medical science what bloodborne pathogens can do. There's still a lot of people that think blood is perfectly acceptable in practically every match. You have people that would like to see it used sparingly in certain situations. And then there's the camp that does not feel like blood should be introduced into pro wrestling at all just because of what we know medically. Where do you stand when it comes to the issue of blood in pro wrestling here in the year 2023? Uh, so my stance on that is I don't... Uh, I, I probably will never do death matches or anything like that just because I like my body and my face. Um, <laughs> but the whole bloodborne pathogens and stuff like that, uh, research and stuff like that has come so far. As long as everyone's safe, my thing is it shouldn't be done every match. It should have a story behind it. It should have a, a reason behind it. It should have meaning behind it. Like I said, death matches and stuff like that, they're not for me. They're not my cup of tea. But if somebody's going to go out there and make, make their living on death matches, hey, more power to you. Um, for me, it's more of a I have to go to my real job on Monday, and um, I don't need to be all messed up. And I understand the want and the excitement for it. But um, with, when, it, when it comes to the blood, I've only gigged probably one time in five years. And that was because it was a very uh, important match. It was um, in a steel cage, so it was for a specific reason. I, I feel like if there's a reason behind it, do it, but do it safely and make sure everybody is clean. Um, and that's, I think, the most important thing. Be adult about it. Don't just do it to do it. <laughs> um, and I think that's for a lot of wrestling, not just not just like blood porn pathogens and bleeding. I think it's just don't do it to do it. Have a reason behind it. I say you probably would never do the death matches, but have promoters approached you on doing death matches, maybe just to fill out what the entrance was from you. Uh, no, I've never been reached out to for a death match um, or anything like that. Um, I've had talks of doing like a hardcore match, but no death match, any anything like that. Um, I, I don't know. It would it would have to be a, a couple month long story behind it, especially for those more dedicated fans um, to have a reason to do a death match or even a hardcore match. I just, I'm, it's not my cup of tea. Uh, one of the things that prevents some people from doing death matches is athletic commissions, which a lot of states have. Every state is individual when it comes to athletic commissions. There are certain states that have none others that have very vigilant, very strict commissions, and others that are there 
pretty much just to collect the tax money and then they stay hands off the rest of the time. Do you personally feel like having an athletic commission oversee pro wrestling is helpful or do you see detriments in it? I feel like it's really helpful. Um, I, I think it's, I, I, and people will argue with it about it, um, but I think it's helpful because with an athletic commission, people are safe. No one's getting seriously injured. If you're not capable of wrestling, but you, you know, you still have that itch and you still want to do it and something's wrong with your leg or your back or your neck and you go in there and somebody injures you, well, that's, that's your fault. And now you got to take that responsibility. Um, this isn't, this isn't something that anybody can just get into the ring and do. You have to be in a certain shape. You have to be healthy. You have to stay healthy. And I want to stay healthy in the ring with someone. And if I'm in the ring with someone, I would hope that they're healthy and that I'm not hurting them because that's not what I want to do. I don't want to break somebody's back or paralyze somebody and that, and, you know, accidents happen and all. But to have an athletic commission say, hey, here's your license. You're okay to wrestle, come back or renew it here in a couple months or in a couple of years even, um, I think it's a good thing. Now, for every single state, probably, you know, people will argue it and fight over it. Um, we don't have one in Wisconsin. There's, I don't know, 25-plus independent wrestling companies in Wisconsin. So I think with an athletic commission, a lot of those companies would go away. Now, with wrestling, I feel like it's become oversaturated with indie companies and nothing wrong with that, you know, if the if the demand is there, you need to have the product because wrestling's a business. But my thing is if there was a wrestling commission, a lot of these people who are seriously injured wouldn't be so seriously injured all the time. And there would probably be more of a understanding of, hey man, I'd I'd like to stay alive and healthy and well because I this isn't my career yet. I don't have a contract. So I'd like to go home, and I'd like to be able to walk. <laughs> so I think I think wrestling commissions are a good sent a good thing on a certain level. I, I wouldn't want them to do overstep their boundaries and stuff like that. Now, have you ventured out to where there is an athletic commission where you had to get licensed for a particular promotion, or have you not dealt with any athletic commissions yet? Um, I'm working on going to get my physical for um, Kentucky uh, because I have really good friends of mine, uh, Jay DeNero and TW3, who are on TV uh, weekly, which is awesome to see them. I uh, trained with Tommy, uh, TW3. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, Jay DeNero helped train me. Um, So those are guys who I really look up to, and um, they're there every week, and they're having a fantastic time doing it. Now they have uh, the commission over in Kentucky, which I got to fill out some paperwork and do a physical and stuff like that and make sure that I'm healthy so that um, I can go wrestle over there. I know there's a couple other states that do it. I'm not sure how many states do it, but um, I know it's mostly a Southern thing, I want to say. 
It honestly varies all across the country. I'd say probably two-thirds of the states have an athletic commission, just roughly estimating. Uh, you also are in the era of professional wrestling, especially at the independent level where a lot of guys this time of year, take a look at the PWI 500 list that comes out every year. It's been going on for over 30 years now, and a lot of independent wrestlers put a lot of stock into it. A lot of independent wrestlers ignore it, and a lot of independent wrestlers, if they don't make the list, will say it's horrible and you have to buy your way in, and then when they do make it later, it's completely all their hard work, so there's a lot of different takes on the 500 list, but do you personally pay much attention to the PWI 500? Uh, not really. I mean, it's cool. Uh, I've had a friend of mine, uh, uh, Sierra, she was on it, which is uh, just awesome. I believe she was on PWI. Um which is so cool, and it's cool that you're able to say that. Um, I am not a big follower of it. I think it's cool that you have it, and I know there are a lot of people who take a lot of stock in it. Um, I feel like if you're booked every weekend and you're traveling and you're making money off of it, that should be your clue that you're doing the right thing. It shouldn't be, you know, a magazine or something like that because – Who's to say that, like you said, people buy their way in? Now, I'm I'm probably not up on the top 500 in the U.S., but if I had the right amount of money to be able to buy my way in, cool. You know, now I'm on the top 500. Um, so I don't, I don't really pay too much attention to it. I just try to focus on my stuff and what I'm doing. Um, as long as I'm doing good, I feel like I'm I'm living my life and doing the best that I can. This time of year is when wrestling fans start to gather their wish list of items they would like for the holidays. Wrestling-related gifts have been big for years and years. One of the big things that a lot of people put on their list is a wrestling-related, since Mick Foley became a New York Times best-selling author, the market has been flooded with various types of wrestling books, autobiographies, biographies, historical look at companies, uh, contemporary look at some of the national companies. There's a lot out there. Would you personally have any recommendations on wrestling-related books if someone was interested in grabbing some for the holidays? So I'm not a big book person. Uh, my shoot job is a semi-driver, so I'm on Audible a lot, and a lot of times I'm just listening to fantasy books or any anything to get my mind off the road for the 10 hours I'm on it. Um, one book in particular, uh, I got the privilege to work for Bert, uh, Bert Prentice from USA Wrestling down in Tennessee. And uh, his book was fantastic. Uh, USA had been there for how many, how many years? And I was privileged enough to work for Bert uh, a couple times. 
So it was cool to know that Southern Tennessee wrestling um, area and the history behind that because uh, I, I just love learning about history. The more the more I know about it, the better it makes me feel. Um, so Bert, I don't remember the name of it. I've got the book upstairs somewhere, but uh, it's definitely Burt Prentice, uh, and he had passed away a couple years, and I had gotten a copy of his book uh, from a memorial show. So uh, other than that, anything I find on Audible uh, wrestling-wise is pretty much something I'll download and just listen to for hours on end. Now, there's also a lot of wrestling-related movies out there. Uh, you can go back to the 50s, and wrestling was the focus of a lot of movies all the way up till present day. On Christmas Day this year, there's going to be a major theatrical release of a movie based on the Von Erichs. Uh, so wrestling movies are poised to be in vogue right now. Do you have a favorite wrestling-related movie? Uh, I think I think everyone in some way feels a certain way about the wrestler. Um, God, that that movie. I've seen people who know nothing about wrestling just break down in tears and ask me, "Is this what it like? What it ends up like?" And there's a lot of people just really feel some type of way about that movie. Um, so that's absolutely my top favorite movie. Um, I love that show Heels, and I know it's kind of corny and a lot of che- uh, kind of cheesy, and not a lot of people like it. But I, I really do like that show Heels, uh, especially for excuse me, it uh, focuses more on like a, an indie company in one little town. So I think that's cool. Um, I, I can't wait to see. Uh, God, I can't even remember the actor's name um, who's coming into that Von Erichs movie. Zach Efron. I can't wait to see that. Uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic movie. He looks amazing uh, for the work he put on and the weight he put on to look like one of them. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see that. One of the things that a lot of wrestling promoters have been doing over the last few years at the independent level is soliciting sponsorships for different matches. A lot of times a promoter will go to a local business and they'll say for X dollars you get to pick who's in this match and we will promote your business during the course of the show or put the advertisement in the program, whatever the case may be. And then the business pays for whichever wrestler or wrestlers go into that match. It's slowly been uh, getting more widespread. Do you think that as a business plan, this is a good model to use where you're taking the booking of certain matches out of the actual wrestling promotion's hands and putting it into a completely different business person's hands, or do you think that with the right guidance, this is a good idea to help the promotions thrive? Um, so for a lot of companies that I'm really close with, um, HWE, Frontline, uh, a lot of Wisconsin wrestling, 
um, that speak about sponsors and stuff like that. No one's ever asked us uh, that I am aware of to have a certain type of match stipulation or to have uh, one guy go over on another or these guys fight each other or stuff like that. I've never, I've never really seen that most of the time. It's um, we'll put your name out there. We'll, we'll come to your bar or your restaurant or whatever afterwards. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll sign autographs, stuff like that, which is cool because I like, I like doing those things. I don't like, um, not having those times with fans other than just intermission. Um, I like going to the bar with fans and stuff like that. So if if it's a sponsorship, um, most of the time I haven't seen anything to where they want a specific outcome or anything like that. That's news to me, which is, um, surprising to be honest, because I think it should fall on the booker or the promoter to understand what his fans want to know what, the story entails to have what his vision or his idea is. So I think, I think it should be on the booker. I don't, I don't think a a sponsorship where somebody doesn't know anything about the business is like, yeah, these two people seem cool. And I understand, you know, it's all about the money aspect and it's a business, but at the same time, you got to give the fans what they want, not what someone who knows nothing about people in the ring are Planning matches. Um, you've wrestled for quite a few promotions, like we've established so far. We know that if a wrestling promoter can fit a wrestling ring somewhere, set up some chairs and sell tickets, they likely will. We've seen a wide variety of venues used, everything from bars to VFW halls to school gyms to church gyms to parking lots, every conceivable spot, it seems like a wrestling show has been there at some point. What would you say has been the best venue in which you've wrestled so far? The best venue that I've wrestled so far? Um, There's a brewery out in Duluth for DPW. I think that is just a phenomenal double level. Um, for GLCW, it's the uh, Waukesha County Arena. That one is uh, just, and and the fans come and flock to that show, which is Blizzard Brawl in December, and it's always a fantastic show. You walk out and you just feel the energy of the crowd. Um, so those are definitely my top two uh best venues that I've been in. Um, there's, and there's certain venues where it, it, it's more intimate, I guess. People are a little closer and people are sitting a little closer, which is definitely cool too, because then I get to interact with the fans a little closer. Um, so yeah, those, those would definitely be uh, my top two for sure would be the Waukesha County Arena and uh the, I can't remember the brewery up in uh, Duluth, but it's it's a phenomenal venue up there. On the flip side of that, what would you say has been the strangest venue where you've wrestled? Strangest venue that I've wrestled? Uh, it would have been a couple of years ago. 
it was outside in the middle of October, and if anybody's ever been to Wisconsin, it's not warm in October. Um, and I wear fur, which did not really help at all. So it was it was probably like 25 degrees outside, and this was probably like three years ago, four years ago. So I was still pretty pretty young, um, and I just. I was like, man, this is such a bad idea. And, yeah, it was definitely a bad idea because it was just cold and miserable the whole time. Um, it was just outside, behind a bar, by a volleyball pit. Cars were just pulled up on every single side of the the area. It was, it was just so – it was so terrible. <laughs> One of the more – Unsung roles in pro wrestling is that of the referee. Oftentimes, people in the industry, not to say those outside of it, don't fully understand how much a good referee can save a bad match or how much a bad referee can really hurt what could have been a good match. And a lot of people don't really take into account how much a referee, if they're experienced, you know what they're doing, can do to help a show. Who are some of the better referees that you have come across that you think deserve more credit? I think the best referee hands down in Wisconsin is T.J. Boyles. Um, He is uh, 20 years, I think, in the business. He has done nothing but wrestling, um, and he is just – one of those guys who he knows where he needs to be. He knows his position. He knows what to do. I don't have, you don't ever have to tell ref TJ, Hey, this is, I, I need some time on the outside or, well, don't have your, don't be looking at this or any of that. You never have to tell him. And I've never had to tell him. I will put him over. He's one of my closest friends and helped me so much in the business. Uh, he is by far the best re- uh, referee in Wisconsin. Um, he's been traveling more, which is awesome to see. Uh, I think he's in Minnesota tonight uh, for Ironheart Pro. Yeah, I think that's where he's at tonight. But he is just a phenomenal ref. He's always just in his in in his element when he's in the ring. When a lot of wrestlers get into the business after they've been in for however much time, they start thinking that they would run things differently than the promoters that hire them and run the shows where they work. A lot of times wrestlers will try to promote as as a one-off just to see what it's like, where they might start up a company that doesn't last long for whatever reason, but a lot of wrestlers will gravitate towards the promotional end to whatever degree. Have you, at this stage in your career, ever given thought to the promotional end of things? So I was going to do a benefit show up north. Thank God I didn't because – it just, it was so much. It's too much to, to me at least, to transfer from wrestler to promoter and booker and stuff like that. Um, I don't, 
I don't ever want to be in that position. And I always thank my booker or promoter who hire me to do the job for the night because they have so much on their plate and I don't want all that. I'm good. Um, I recently was in Illinois for a show. I was contacted on a Friday. Uh, they were, they wanted me for a Saturday. So I got down there and he, after the match and everything, he was like, thank you for so, thank you so much for doing the business. And I said, well, that's what you pay me for. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of my job. And uh, he was just happy, happy that I came in and did the business because I've seen a lot of different things in the background where I'm just like, I don't want to be in that position. I never want to be in that position of monkeys in a circus. I'm good. I want to focus on me. <laughs> Fair enough. One of the other aspects a lot of wrestlers will attempt at some point in time is training the new crop of wrestlers, whether they just help out at a school or if they open their own school or if they uh, work just in certain camps to help out. Usually everybody will at least attempt a little bit of training the new wrestlers is training the new crop of wrestlers something you've given thought to at this point whether it's opening a school or just helping out at an established one or anything like that um so when i graduated from the dojo of pain uh we had multiple students come afterwards um and i was still going there to make sure that the new students were understanding it and they had somebody to work with that had a good grasp of it already. Um, I think I, I enjoy training and I enjoy helping people come up with new ideas or uh, figuring out a certain way to do things. Um, I enjoy the training aspect. So I, I did like doing the training, but if I was to open a school, I would need at least 10 more years in, in the business because people who graduate a school and then wrestle for a little bit and then open up a school I think it it just puts out terrible product um and I, I think that's how people get really injured um to have accredited school and to say that this person trained you and this is where they came from is far better than some nobody that nobody's ever heard of trained you and you know they'd only wrestled for three years so I do love training people, but I would if somebody if somebody would correct me, I'm not going to argue it because they know it, especially if they've been in longer than me, they know way more than I do, so I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to go over their head or anything like that. Now, speaking of that, we established earlier that there's still a lot of the old guard of wrestling that is in the area and will come to shows, do you have any of those veterans that you see at different shows that you can go to and say, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right, would you watch it, or guys that just voluntarily come up and say you did this and this wrong, but you did this and this right, anything like that out of the more veteran talents? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, GLCW, we have, like, Doug Basham and Al Snow there a lot. 
which is a godsend because they'll watch the match. They'll tell you where you messed up. They'll tell you you can do better. Um, they've, they've been a wealth of knowledge. Um, if my trainer, Shane Hills, was at a show, I would be like, hey, what do you think about this? Or if Jay DeNero or uh, TW3, I always go to my vets because I may have an idea and I just don't know how to recreate it. Or maybe they have a different way to recreate it that this idea in my mind that I have, which is always, it's always good to bounce things off of other people. Um, it's always good to get a second opinion before I, I decide to pull the gun on it, so to speak. So yeah, I always, I always go to the veteran of the locker room and be like, Hey man, what do you think about this? Like you mentioned earlier, you have fur as far as ring attire, and uh, you have a pretty heavy-looking cape and so forth that you use, boots and all of that. When you travel, do you ever run into issues at the airports when you have all this stuff? Do guys take it out of the bag and look at it or does it set off any alarms when you're traveling anything like that with your gear no i haven't i haven't it's pretty much (laughs) um i haven't done a lot of plane travel but um the times that i've had my gear with me i've never really had a an issue it's never been like uh oh what is this furry arm thing or that furry skirt what is that it's it I, i have pretty limited gear so they've never really uh, questioned it. It's just, you know, a, a skirt and some arm gauntlets and a, a shoulder pauldron. And it's not like uh, my tag partner. He's got uh, Devlin Kane. He's got, like, uh, a helmet with horns on it and everything's got spikes on it and stuff like that. I'm sure he would get questioned, but mine, mine is very – I tried to make my gear as minimal as possible while still having uh, the functional capabilities – to last in the ring and last for months on end. Do you have a set gear maker that makes everything for you, or do you uh, go to various people to make your gear? How do you come about uh, getting what you need and knowing it's going to be durable? Uh, So my wife, uh, she actually made both sets of my gear. Um, my first set was just like a pirate belt from an old Halloween costume and some fur from Hobby Lobby. Um, the second set of gear, which, uh, that first set lasted me for three and a half years before I decided to finally change. Um, so the second set of gear I've been using more recently, uh, it's also just t-shirts and Hobby Lobby fur and sewing and stuff like that. Um, keep thinking about switching my gear all the time or getting a different set of gear uh, that I would have like a gear creator. Uh, I know the Lucha lady is very popular up here. Uh, She does a lot of guys gear up here, but I haven't had a chance to really come up with a design. I'm really going to be happy or comfortable with. Now taking yourself out of the equation for just a moment Looking at shows where you are and looking at wrestlers that you work with in the locker rooms, 
who would you say has the best gear right now? Best gear right now? Oh. Um, that's a tough question. I think every gear is unique to the person who is wearing it. So it, it all depends really on the gimmick. Like I love uh, one of my best friends in the business uh, here in Arsenal. He is the hipster hunk. So he comes out with uh, his own personalized scarves and he's got uh, trunks on and he uh, is always using the scarf in the ring, which is great. I think uh, Devlin Kane, my tag partner for his gimmick, you know, he's also a Viking like me. He comes out with all these Viking things on and stuff like that. So, I think if, if if it, I don't like generic. I don't like bland. Like um, I love JDX over in Minnesota because his gear is always different and it's like Marvel and comic book stuff. So that's always really cool to see too. So I think if it's unique and it's different and it's eye catching, I think it's great. Um, but if it's generic and bland and it's just like I'm a guy and I'm coming out here, I don't think. I don't think you're really trying as hard as you could or you could do, you could probably do better. Think of, you know, something that will attract someone to your character or to who you are. Have you ever been in a situation where you're wrestling someone and you see the gear that they choose to wear and you think to yourself why would you even wear this to a match and just for whatever reason just it does not work um i haven't really seen anything like that i've seen more of the this just bland uh attire um it, it there's an entertainment aspect to it you know it's pro wrestling and there's a, a certain entertainment aspect to it if you watch tv and someone comes out with just the most bland basic gear, well, you're not going to really pay attention to them. But when, you know, uh, old Finn Balor came out or Charlotte Flair comes out or any, any, anybody who's like do, does the pageantry of walking down to the ring, I love New Japan because they have, you know, it's, it's, it's a big pageantry to walk out into the ring. Um, that is the stuff that catches my eye. I've never really had anybody be like super basic black trunks, black, uh, black boots, and just that's it. That's them, um, which is fortunate to say because some people are really thinking about their characters in Wisconsin and in the surrounding states that I've worked in. Um, so it, it's, it's nice to see. Well, we are getting down to the last few minutes of the show today, and I want to make sure that we have ample time for you. If there's anything you would like to say in closing, if you want to plug and promote absolutely anything at all, social medias, merchandise, appearances, your favorite seafood restaurant, anything at all, floor is yours. Uh, my favorite seafood restaurant would probably be Nakashima's in Green Bay. Uh, great sushi. Big sushi guy. But uh, for me, uh, I'm on all the social medias, Ragnar the Ruthless. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, I, I post stupid things on TikTok and sometimes wrestling matches. 
Um, you can find me on Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, my older T-shirt is on there. My newer one hasn't been uploaded yet, so I've been lazy on getting around to that. Um, but, yeah, basically, uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere in Wisconsin, uh, a lot of places in Minnesota. Uh, upcoming shows are, like you said, GLCW tomorrow in Merrill, and then I have Night for Tyler um, on the 30th, which is Frontline Pro. And that is in, God, I can't even remember where it is. Uh, You think I would know these things offhand and not just have them in my calendar? (laughs) But in front line. It happens. Right, right. Um, Oh, in uh, in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Um, So, yeah, there's uh, there's plenty of wrestling in Wisconsin, and if you are – to Wisconsin, you can throw a stone and find some wrestling, um, and you'll probably see me at a show there. Uh, this next year, I'm planning on doing a lot more traveling, uh, really stepping outside of just the Midwest and a little bit of the South. I want to go further east, and I want to go further west. Um, so that's my plan for this next year, and uh, I hope to see everyone come up to me and talk to me at shows because I love when fans come and talk to me. <laughs> Ragnar the Ruthless, I want to thank you very, very much for taking the time to be with us today. We appreciate it greatly, and hopefully in the next year that planned trip will bring you up here in our neck of the woods here in the Pacific Northwest. We'd love to have you up here, and best of luck to you as you continue your career. Yeah, I heard heard you talking in the beginning. There's a pajama show tomorrow. There is indeed both wrestlers, referees, ring announcers, and our great fans in pajamas. That's that's awesome to hear. I, I would I would book that with someone around here. That sounds like a fantastic fun time. <laughs> Absolutely, I will keep you abreast of the situation. Oh, thank you, brother. All right, well, fans, if you have not yet jumped on the YouTubes and looked up Ragnar the Ruthless, do so. Look him up on the social medias. He's very, very good at what he does. I think you will enjoy his work. We will be back with you in one week. We are taking this particular Sunday off, but we will be back with you next week with Frank Falcon out of the great state of Wyoming. And he is not only a wrestler at one point in time, but he also promotes and he joins many charitable ventures to bring wrestling to help raise money within the state of Wyoming. So we're excited to hear some of his big plans he has coming up. So make sure you join us. Everybody stay safe out there. Get out to support your local independents wherever that may be. And hopefully we'll see some of you at the Pajama Slam tomorrow night in Arlington, Washington. We will talk to you soon.
I believe in 